Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this time in our service today, we open up your word. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. And Lord, let us see Jesus, build up our faith in Jesus all the more. Let your spirit be among us. Let your spirit open our eyes and our ears so that your word may be clear to us today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to John chapter 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 29 this morning. John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can grab a, a, a pew Bible there. And it's on page 853 in the pew Bible. 853 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, then I invite you to take that pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you today. We want you to have a, a copy of God's Word. So John 20, verse 24 through 29, page 853 in the pew bible you found your place there please stand with me in reverence to the reading of god's holy word hear the word of the lord now thomas one of the twelve called the twin was not with them when jesus came though the other disciples told him we have seen the lord but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the, marks, uh, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. If ever there were a man who enjoyed the pleasures of this world, it was King Solomon. King Solomon was, uh, he, God blessed him with great, great riches. Uh, some have estimated, just looking at the, what, what all the Bible describes him having, and, and they have estimated that his net worth today and today's money would be somewhere around $2.2 trillion. $2.2 trillion. Just kind of put this in per perspective, Bill Gates is worth $75 billion. So, 75 billion, 2.2 trillion. I mean, King Solomon made, oh, uh, makes uh, Bill Gates almost look like a pauper. He had so much money. 
Uh, he had loads of wealth, and he had great wisdom. God blessed him with a, a wonderful mind. And, and so King Solomon, he, he did a number of experiments in his days. He set out to enjoy the pleasures of this world. He did many great building programs. He, he built castle after castle after castle, city after city after city. He, he engaged in, in commerce, international commerce. He had tons of wives, right? He had over 400 wives. And so he, he engaged in all the pleasures of the world. And somewhere along the way, he wrote uh, in the Bible for us the outcome, what he figured out after all of his pursuits. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, here is his conclusion. After experiencing all the pleasures of the world, he determined that all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here's a man who had everything that this world had to offer. It was given to him by a blessing of God. He enjoyed the pleasures of this world. And even after experiencing all the pleasures of this world, he said, vanity. Vanity. It's like chasing the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. Oh, you might enjoy it for a moment, but then it's gone. Vanity of vanities. You know, many people in this world, most people in this world, they try to find pleasure, joy, happiness, and all the vain things of this world. They try to find joy and happiness and money and possessions and a position, being in a certain place, Yet, once they grab that one thing that they thought, that will make me happy, that will bring me joy, what have they found out time and time again? That joy is fleeting. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. I remember someone said, someone once asked, oh, Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. You see, you never can find joy. No matter how much you have in this world, it will never bring you the joy that you truly seek. Today, I want us to, as we look at this text, this is what we're going to learn. Faithlessness, that is faith, or that is life without faith in Jesus Christ. Faithlessness leads to endless despair. Faithlessness leads to endless despair, but faith in Christ leads to everlasting joy. Faithlessness leads to endless despair, but faith in Christ leads to everlasting joy. We see that in this example with Thomas as we see Thomas's experience with the resurrected Lord. And so I hope today that we see this, this and I want to show you this, this truth, in, in four characteristics of faith. And my prayer is today that you Christians, you would be strengthened in your faith. That you would pursue faith all the more. And those who maybe you have doubts, maybe you're pursuing joy in all the things of this world, I pray today that your heart would be convinced and that you would turn to faith in Jesus Christ. As we consider our text today, we remember, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you remember, but if you haven't, I'll catch you up a bit. 
Uh, this text begins at the very end of Resurrection Sunday. So we're still on Resurrection Sunday. And so you remember on the early morning of Resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, Mary Magdalene and a few other women with her, they all went out to the tomb to, to kind of take care of the body of Jesus. They wanted to, to put some more spices and, and stuff on his body. So they went out to the tomb of Jesus, and there when they got there, they found the stone rolled away. The stone was out of the way. They went in, they looked, and Jesus' body was gone. Now all the grave clothes were still there with all the, the spices that uh, the other men had put on his body when they prepared him and buried him. But his body was gone, and, and Mary was in, in distress. She went back, and she told the other disciples, namely Peter and John, and they came back, and they saw the tomb. It was just like she had said. It was empty, but yet the clothes were still there. And seeing that, John said that he went away, and he believed. He remembered what the Lord had said, and, and it was enough for him to see the empty tomb he believed but Mary Magdalene she was in distress she was there where is the body of my Lord where is the body of my Lord and then Jesus shows up and he calls out her name Mary and she turns to him in belief oh Rabbi and so Mary she believed when Jesus called out her name and and he sends her off to talk to the disciples the other disciples and tell them the good news. And so Mary goes to the other disciples to tell them the good news but they they think she's crazy. They think she's in a, a state of hysteria and she has hallucinated seeing Jesus and they do not believe. And then Jesus, we saw last week, he just appeared in their midst. They're in this locked room and he appears in their midst and there he is. There's the evidence. He is there. He, he says, hey, touch my hands, feel my hands. Here they are. Here's the wounds. See my side? Here, here's the wound that, that was uh, pierced. Here's where I was pierced by that, that spear. And so the disciples believed. They believed. They saw and they believed. But as we get into our text today, Thomas, one of the twelve, wasn't with them. He wasn't there. Look what it says there. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they told him, We have seen the Lord. Now Thomas... This isn't the first time that we see Thomas in the book of John. John introduces him earlier in the book. Thomas was, well, quite the pessimist. He was a pessimist. He, he was a downer. He was an, an Eeyore, right? Oh, me. Everything's bad. Everything's terrible. Nothing's going to work out right. We're actually first introduced to, to, to uh, Thomas and his kind of pessimistic attitude back in John chapter 11. Now in John chapter 10, Jesus had been in Jerusalem and, and he had been there and he had been teaching and the, the people picked up stones to stone him and, and they started pursuing him. They wanted to, to kill him. And so they, they head out, they flee from Jerusalem. And then when you get into chapter 11, Lazarus has died and Jesus needs to go back to the area, back to the Jerusalem area. And he's got work there to do. And so the disciples try to talk him out. Lord, if we go back there, they're going to kill you. 
I've got to go there. I've got a mission. I've got a purpose. I've got to go back. We've got to go. And Thomas says, uh, it says there, uh, chapter 11, verse 16, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Right? He was ready to go. But he knew the, the outcome was death. We're going to die. We're going to die. Eeyore, we're going to die. But here we go. Right? He was an Eeyore. He was a pessimist. Again, in chapter 14, Jesus tells him, I'm going to a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back for you. And, and Thomas, he, he lays out the question, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? We don't know, Lord. How, how are we going to get there? See, just an old pessimist. We can't make it. We're never going to make it there, Lord. And now the disciples come and they, they tell him he, he is off alone. He has gone into seclusion. That's what a pessimist often does, isn't it? You get in that depressed state and you don't want to be around anyone. Just let me encourage you because there are pessimists among us. I mean, we're, some of us are just kind of that kind of way naturally. We're natural pessimists. And our inclination is when things get kind of rough and tough, we kind of seclude ourselves. Don't run away from the church when you get it down and out. Run to the church. Surround yourself with people who love you and care for you. Don't be like Thomas and run away, but run to the church. Surround yourself with people who love you and care for you. Thomas, he had separated himself and went off. But here the disciples go. They're pursuing him. Thomas, Thomas, guess what? We've seen the Lord. We've seen him with our own eyes. He has all of these witnesses telling him, we have seen the Lord. And what does Thomas say? I will never believe. I will never believe. Unless I put my hands in, his, in, in the wounds, I will never, ever believe. You know, this tells us something about even ourselves. Faith in Christ is not our natural inclination. Faith in Christ is not our natural inclination. Here's Thomas. He spent three years with Jesus. He spent three years. He, he heard Jesus teach, hey, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. Yet here is that moment. And here are all of these witnesses surrounding Thomas. Thomas, we've seen him. He has done just as he said he would do. Yet he doubts. He cannot believe. This has earned him the, the title, Doubting Thomas. But I want you to notice that he wasn't alone in this. All the other disciples, they, they failed to believe as well until the Lord appeared to them. Mary, she, she had her doubts she doubted until the Lord called out her name. The rest of the disciples, they doubted. They, they said, no way, until the Lord appeared to them. Thomas, he just gets it a few days later. He's doubting because our natural inclination is to doubt and not believe. I mean, someone being raised from the dead, that doesn't happen. We've never seen that. Have any of y'all seen anyone raised from the dead? No. That's not the natural way of things. And so our natural inclination is to disbelieve and not believe in Jesus. Dear friends, I want to encourage you today. Maybe, Christian, you know someone in your life. 
someone in your life, they are a doubting Thomas. You have witnessed to them and witnessed to them and, and you have told them the, God, the good news of Jesus Christ and yet over and over again, they walk away in doubt. Let me just encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up on that person. Don't give up because they're a doubting Thomas. And that's just not their natural inclination. Their natural inclination is not to believe. To not believe such a thing as this could happen. Don't give up. Pray for them. Pray for them and pursue them. I bet the rest of the disciples, they pursued Thomas all week. I mean, it was eight days later when, when he was there and the Lord appeared to him. And I bet you every day, the rest of those disciples, Thomas, man, you got to believe. you got to believe. We've seen him. I, I, saw, I touched his hands. I saw him. They pursued him, and they pursued him, and they pursued him. Never give up on anyone. You may think, oh, well, that person can never come to faith. Well, I've heard Robert tell that story about himself. There were people, Robert Sanders, our very own Robert Sanders, there were people in his day who gave up. Oh, no one, Robert Sanders will never come to the Lord, but someone kept believing. Someone kept believing. Someone kept praying for Robert and kept testifying to him, sharing the gospel with him. And one day the Lord woke, awoke his heart brought life to his heart. And he, now today, he's sold out for Jesus. So never give up. Continue praying. Continue sharing the good news with the lost. Faith in Christ is not our natural inclination. But then we want to see, second of all, the second characteristic of faith. Faith is not our natural inclination. But uh, second of all, we see faith in Christ is awakens, it awakens in His presence. Faith in Christ then awakens in His presence. Continuing on there in verse 26, eight days later. Man, it was a whole week. A whole week, and now we're back to the, the next Sabbath day, the next, next Sunday. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the door was locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put, out, put your, hand, your finger here. Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and, and, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I want you to see here the Lord's gracious provision. The Lord's gracious provision. As Thomas was doubting, and he came to that, he said, unless I see it, unless I see him with my own eyes, unless I put my fingers in the wounds, I'll never believe. Notice here the Lord's gracious provision the Lord's under no compulsion to, to give Thomas what he asked for. The man is to believe, to trust in Jesus, to have faith in Jesus. But the Lord is gracious and he is merciful. And he gives Thomas exactly what Thomas asked for. He asked for evidence and Thomas gave him the evidence that he needed to believe. He gave him exactly what he asked for. The Lord is a gracious, gracious God. And he will give you, dear friend, if you are doubt, 
if you're in doubt, the Lord will give you the evidence to believe. James Montgomery Boyce says this, How gracious our God is. We have no right to demand anything from Him, yet He who has created us and has died to redeem us stoops to provide what we need. Do we need evidence? If we do, and notice this, if we will approach the matter honestly, we will find the proof of His divinity, death for sinners, resurrection, and promised return overwhelming. If we're honest and we seek the evidence honestly, we can see more than enough evidence of His death, burial, resurrection of his deity, that he was indeed, is indeed God. All the evidence is there. All the the testimony is just piled up mountains high that Jesus is who he says he is. We only need to be honest and investigate the evidence honestly and be willing to believe once the evidence makes it clear. I'm reminded of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a, a, an up-and-coming uh, uh, journalist, investigative journalist. Uh, he was secular to the core. He, he had no use for religion or God. He was an atheist, a pronounced atheist. He did not believe, certainly not in this resurrection business of Jesus. But then one day his wife went to church with a friend. And suddenly she came home one day and she was converted. She had converted to Christ. She had uh, surrendered to Jesus. Well, this just sent Lee on a, a, a course. He, he just couldn't stand the idea that his wife was being led into to such ignorance. And so he set out to disprove Christianity. And, and he, he set his heights uh, high, right? If I can disprove the resurrection of Jesus, then I can bring Christianity down. And that's true. Without the resurrection, we're lost. Without the resurrection, tr- Christianity is dead. So he set out with a goal to disprove the resurrection the only problem is, as he began to dig into the evidence and began to collect the evidence, all the overwhelming evidence was that the resurrection really did happen. And ultimately, Lee Strobel had to surrender to Christ because he could not refute the overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once he was a, a, the great uh, uh, philosopher, the great reporter trying to disprove Christianity. Now he is one of Christianity's greatest apologists. As he goes from place to place arguing for the, the, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, if you want evidence, the Lord will give you the evidence. If you'll be honest and weigh out the evidence honestly, he'll show you the proof of his deity, of his death for sinners, and his resurrection. Oh, the Lord is a gracious God who provides the evidence we need. But I also want you to see here the Lord's plea. The Lord's plea. He comes to Thomas and he pleads, put out your hand. Touch and see. Here's the evidence. Put it out. And look what he says here. I love this. Do not disbelieve, 
Do not disbelieve. Do not continue in faithlessness. That's what he's saying there. Do not continue in faithlessness, but believe. Have faith. Trust in me. He's pleading with with him. Put away your doubting and trust in me. Oh, the Lord pleads with us. Come. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, see the Lord's pleading. He wants us to come and trust in Him. Oh, dear friend, as we think about our lost friends and neighbors and family, the Lord's plea should encourage us us to plea with those before us. Those who have their doubts, plea with them. Believe. Here's the evidence. Here's the proof. Here's Jesus. And plead with them. Oh, just plead. Quit disbelieving and believe in Jesus. Sometimes I don't think we do enough pleading with the sinner to come to Jesus. But let's follow the Lord's example and let's plead with the lost to quit their disbelieving and trust in Jesus. But also we see here the Lord's presence. It's the Lord's presence that ultimately awakens the dead, cold heart. It's the Lord's presence. Thomas doesn't need to reach out his hand. Oh, he's invited. Reach out your hands, Thomas. Feel here. Touch here. But Thomas, he doesn't reach out. John tells us he doesn't reach out. No, he just responds. Thomas answered him, right? He he doesn't reach out. He just answers him, my Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. It's just the presence of Jesus Christ that awakens the cold, dead heart and brings it to life. Oh, that's just as true today as it was in Thomas's day. You know, all the evidence in the world will not change a broken heart, a, a sinful heart. All the evidence in the world ultimately will not bring one to faith. What is needed is the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Now, how do we receive the presence of the Lord? How do we we come into the presence of the Lord today in our time? We don't have the physical presence. Thomas had the physical presence of the Lord. We don't have that today. So how does it come for us today? Romans 10, 17 tells us one way. There's two two things that have to be there. The Lord's presence is recognized, first of all, through the Word of God spoken So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The presence of the Lord comes to us as as believers in Jesus speak the Word of truth. As we speak the Gospel to our neighbors, our friends, our family, then the Lord is there. We present the, the presence of the Lord through His Word. But there's another way that He must be there, and that is by the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings the presence of the Lord to the lost. John 16, 8 and 11. Jesus talking to His disciples. He says about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, the presence of the Lord comes to us today, not physically, but in His Word, spoken. 
declared. How beautiful are the feet who declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to speak the word. We've got to share the gospel and thereby bring the presence of the Lord to the ears of the lost and the heart of the lost. But even as we go and we speak, our speech is powerless unless the Holy Spirit is there with us. It's the Holy Spirit that takes our words and, and brings it into the ears of the lost and, and opens their ears to hear it and opens their heart to receive it. It's the Holy Spirit that must be there to convict and, and transform. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. Dear friend, as we go out and we declare the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, let it be known that we've got to go. We've got to speak the word, but we've got to depend on the power of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit to awaken hearts to see Jesus, to feel His presence, to convert their heart. We depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of the Lord. It is the presence of Jesus Christ that awakens the dead heart to see Jesus dear friend be faithful to share the gospel be faithful to share the gospel faith comes from hearing and pray for the presence of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit as you go and declare the gospel to the lost Matthew 7, 7, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this for you skeptics out there. Maybe there's some who are, you're skeptical. You, you came here and maybe you're, not, you're just not sure about this resurrection business. Then let me encourage you as well, begin to pray even now. Pray even now, Lord, show me. Lord, if all of this is true, if you're true, if you're real, show me. Open my eyes, let me see, show me. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be open to you. You truly seek the Lord. He'll reveal Himself to you. He will let you uh, see Him. He will come into your presence and open your heart. Seek the Lord. Pray, Lord, come and show me who you are. So faith in Christ is not our natural inclination, but faith in Christ is awakened in His presence. Third, we see here in our text that faith in Christ is an active faith. Faith in Christ is an active faith. It's active. It's not just a passive thing. It's not simply a mental assent to, uh, to certain facts about Jesus. Notice what Thomas or what Jesus says back up just a little bit there. He says, "Do not disbelieve, but believe. Believe." That word for believe is uh, the Greek word for faith. It, it's only in its verbal form. This is the verbal form for faith. And, and and John's gospel uses this word. He uses faith more than any other book in the New Testament. Uh, John uses the word for faith, that, that verbal form, 101 times. More than any of, other of the books, including all of, of Paul's writings and, and all the other gospels, he uses it more times than any other book in the New Testament. But John always uses the verbal form. That's why it's always translated, and, and you'll see it in, in the book of John if you read through there. It, it's translated, believe. Believe. 
because it's the verbal form. Believe. It's an active thing. It's, it's not just, just something over there. Right? Uh, faith is not just an object. I just need that faith, right? It's an activity. It's something we do. It's an active faith. Believe. Thomas demonstrates that for us. He demonstrates what true faith is. Notice his declaration, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Those are not empty words. You're not just ascribing some, some title to Jesus there. But Thomas is saying, my Lord, my God. It's, it's his Lord. He is submitting himself to Jesus. He is surrendering to Jesus. He's putting himself under the authority of Jesus. Now, we think about the Queen of England. Now, the Queen of England, I recognize her as, as queen. She's royalty. She has that by birthright. She is royalty, and, and she is a queen. And so I can say to her, Queen Elizabeth, she's the Queen of England. But I don't submit to her authority because I'm American. I'm not a British. Now, for, for British people, they're under her authority. They sit under her authority, and she, she can declare laws and, and do all of those types of things. And, and so she, she has authority over the British nation, but I'm not under her authority. She's the queen of England, but I'm not under her authority. But now if I go to, to Britain and I become a citizen of Britain, guess what? I put myself under her authority, right? What Thomas is doing here, he is setting himself under the authority of Jesus Christ. He says, my Lord, my God. And that's what true faith is. True faith is not just saying, oh, I believe. Oh, I believe he, he died and, and was rose again. Oh, that's good and great that you believe that, but have you believed? Have you set yourself under his authority? Is he Lord? Is he God of your life? That means you submit everything to him. You surrender your complete life to him. Christianity is an active faith. It's not just believing like some mental assent to certain facts, but it's belief. It's coming under Jesus I believe you're Lord. I believe you're God. Therefore, because you are Lord, because you are God, I surrender my life to you. I will follow you. Christianity is a, an act of faith. It's about surrendering ourselves to Jesus in complete submission to Christ. Let me just ask you today, has your life been transformed by active faith in Christ? Are you fundamentally different today because of your faith in Jesus than you were before you came to faith? If not, I would ask you, do you truly believe? If nothing in your life has changed since the day that you said, I believe in Jesus, if nothing has changed, if your life is no different, then I would challenge you, do you truly believe because Scripture tells us when we believe, when we truly believe in Jesus, and we come under Jesus, everything changes. We're no longer that old sinner that we used to be. 
But we're a new creation. The old life, the old way of sin has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Oh, dear friend, if you've lived a life and you think, oh, oh I believed, I, I, I trust in Jesus back in, in Bible school, back when I was a, uh, 10 years old, but, but nothing in your life has changed. No one can tell a difference between you and, and the, the other guy down the street going to the bar and the club and, and all of those things. No one can tell a difference between you and that sinner out there. Do you truly believe? Have you truly given your life to Jesus? And I would just plead with you today. Turn away from sin. Turn away from your disbelief because that's what it is. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Him. Like Thomas my Lord, my God, surrender to Him. He will change you. He will transform you. Finally, faith in Christ is not our natural inclination. Faith in Christ is then awakened in His presence, and, and faith in Christ is active faith. And fourth, and I'm going to go quickly on this one, faith in Christ is joyful faith. Faith in Christ is joyful faith. Oh, I love this line, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Now that's not a rebuke against, against Thomas. But he goes on and says, has blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That word blessed, blessed, it's like the Beatitudes. You know the Beatitudes back in, in Matthew's gospel? Blessed are the meek. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed means to be, be happy. Happy is another, another term for it. We can say happy are those who are meek. Joyful. Joyful are those. It's happiness. It's joy. And it's true joy. Right? It's not a joy that just lasts for a moment and, and then it's gone. Jesus says blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed. Happy. How joyous they are. They rejoice. It's a, a good thing. Blessed are those. And this blessing is, is not a temporal blessing. It's not something that, that's here today and gone tomorrow like wealth and, and fame and, and all the things that this world has to offer. This is the blessing of God. Blessed are those. This is a blessing that comes from God and it's an eternal blessing. It's a blessing that has no end. It's a continuous, everlasting blessing. This is what the Lord is declaring. Blessed, happy, eternally happy are those who trust in Jesus. Who have not seen Him with their own eyes. And yet trust in Him. You see, this is a kind of joy that, that never ends. 
Even when, when our world gets turned upside down, even when bad things happen to us in this life, yet when we have this kind of joy, this kind of blessing, even though we, we may not feel great, even though we may feel sickness, even though we may, may feel the, the loss of this world, whatever we may be feeling, that doesn't change the joy that's within us when we trust in Jesus. Well, I love this with Paul. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here Paul is at the end of his life. He's writing this letter to Timothy, his apostle, uh, from, from prison. And, and he is about to have his head detached from his body by way of Caesar's sword. And I love Paul. He is in this moment of death. And he says in, in 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Although Paul is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, there's laid up for me a crown in glory. Bring it on, Caesar. Bring your sword. I freely lay my head down, detach my head from my body so I can go be with Jesus. You see, that's the kind of joy that comes to those who trust in Jesus. Give themselves to Him. You want to experience true joy in this life? True happiness? No matter what situation or circumstance you face, trust in Jesus. Because all this world can do, they can kill you. They can kill this old body. They can't kill your soul. If you trust in Jesus, He says, I've got your soul. And I'll bring it to be with me. Oh, trust in Jesus. Whatever you may be facing, you can face it with joy in your heart. And you have faith in Jesus Christ. Dear friend, let me ask you today. Are you faithless or faithful? Are you faithless or are you faithful? Have you been living your life without Jesus? Never trusting in Him? Never giving your life over to Him? And whatever joy you may experience in life, it will only be for a moment. And it will be over. But if you trust in Jesus, and your faith is full in Him, oh, you will know, know joy everlasting. Will you trust in Him today? Give your life to Him. He died for you so that you might have life in Him. And He offers it. He's pleading with you today. Trust in me. Trust in me. Give your life to me. Will you trust Him today?
Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God. And though, Lord, you, you, you're not compelled to, to show us, to prove anything to us, Lord, you, by your grace, you go, gave us all the evidence that we need to declare to us the fact of the resurrection. And Lord, all that's left for us to, is to disbelieve. To believe that you are Lord and God and surrender to you. Oh Lord, I pray today. Certainly there's some here today that haven't been trusting in Jesus. Lord, they've been chasing the, the pleasures of this world and been coming up shorthanded. Never knowing true joy. Oh, Lord, let them know joy today. Everlasting joy. By believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.